I learned some things about Juneau, Alaska this week. We were uh, there on a cruise for summer vacation. And um, did you know that in Juneau, even though it's the capital city of Alaska, there are no roads that lead into the city. So if you want to visit the capital of Alaska, you have to get there by plane or boat. So a lot of people drive, but uh, they don't think of themselves as worldly drivers. They've not experienced uh, a lot of the roads across the United States. So it was a problem when Juno needed to put in a roundabout for traffic congestion because they knew none of their drivers had ever driven on a roundabout. So they did a couple of things. First, they mailed personally to every resident of Juno instructions about the roundabout. The second thing they did was for weeks leading up to the opening of the intersection, uh, they put instructions on the front page of the local newspaper. Then when they finally were opening the intersection, they put 40 signs leading up to the intersection that it would explain how you did it. And on the first day it was open, there were nine wrecks. It was a dangerous intersection. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. A dangerous intersection. And that intersection is where my faith and my fear of the future cross paths. Where my faith in Christ and my worry meet. It's a harrowing and dangerous place. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi from prison. So lest you not take his words seriously, if there's anyone who had a reason to fear the future, it was Paul. And yet the Holy Spirit uses him to write these words. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it starts by saying, do not be anxious in verse six about anything. Now, before we step even one foot into this topic, I want to give my opinion I think that there is a difference between worry and anxiety and depression and anxiety. Worry and anxiety, bucket one, that's what we're talking about today. That's what all of us will experience. A fear of the future that would cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. We all know what it's like to worry. The second bucket, depression and anxiety, is different. Um, If you wake up every morning feeling anxious and depressed, and you believe that that is beyond what a normal spirit-filled believer should be experiencing, you should talk to somebody. If you find yourself consistently being anxious, even though there's no reason to be anxious in your life, but you still feel anxious, you need to talk to somebody. Um, With everything, we should be praying. That's what it's getting ready to say. But just like if you were having heart trouble, we would tell you to pray about it. We would also tell you to go and see the doctor. No one would ever suggest, well, if you have enough faith, you'll be able to withstand this heart attack that you're having. No, we would pray for you 
on the way to the hospital and on the way out of the hospital. Depression and anxiety is something similar. It's not just simply there are some things that are causing me stress. So if you think that you possibly fit into that second bucket of depression and anxiety, we want you to talk to somebody. I'm a big big proponent of everyone having a counselor that they can talk to, both in crisis and in a normal checkup. So every six months or so, even when things are going really well for me and I feel good about life, I call my counselor just like I'm supposed to go to the doctor every six months or once a year. I don't, but I do call my counselor every six months. Sometimes we have a lot to talk about. Sometimes we don't, but it is a good place for me to check in. Whether I feel healthy or I don't feel healthy, it's a good thing to have. So do you have a counselor? If not, you should get one. If you feel like maybe you fall into that second bucket of depression and anxiety, you should definitely talk to that counselor. You should definitely talk uh, to your medical provider. Uh, You should talk to a friend about it. Uh, You don't need to wake up feeling that way every single day. Help is available uh, to you. And I want to make you aware of that. And the things that we're talking about today are not addressing that second bucket. You probably need more than I should pray more for depression and anxiety. What we're talking about today is worry and anxiety, a fear of the future that causes me to doubt God's faithfulness. Now we worry about lots of different things. First, we worry about things that will never happen. So if you find yourself worried about what life on Mars is like, probably don't need to worry about that. You're never, never going to get there. We worry about things that could happen. Probably not, but there's a sliver's worth of chance that it might happen. For example, my family and I were flying back from Seattle Friday to Houston and when we were in midair, uh, the, the flight attendants were uh, doing the drink service and the giving out of pretzels. And all of a sudden, the pilot came on and said, flight attendants, uh, I need you to get in your jump seats. Which I wish that he had not called them jump seats. Like that caused a level of stress that I feel like was unnecessary. A simple take your seat would have been fine. Jump makes it seems like they should be getting prepared for something that the rest of us are probably not prepared for. So they quickly put the, the, the carts away, get back in their seats. And I'm expecting we're getting ready to go into some turbulence. But there's no turbulence, which freaks me out even more. Because what is happening in this plane that they need to get in their seats with their safety belts on, but there's not turbulence. Um, so I think, well, then the only natural conclusion is, is that the landing gear is not going to come down. He's been able to diagnose the problem. And, uh, and, and, and he's not telling us, he is telling them, but not us, that that can be the only natural explanation. And then what made it worse is they did get back up eventually, serve the drinks, but every now and then he would say, uh, uh, flight attendants, I need to speak with you. And they would disappear. <laughs> so I'm sitting next to Willa, who's two. And the only thing I'm thinking about the entire flight is, okay, when we land in Houston without wheels... How should I cover her in a way that would be the most protective? Like, this is what I spent four hours thinking about. (laughs) Falls into category number two. We're worried about things that could happen, but probably not going to happen. We landed just fine. (laughs) Category number three, we can worry about things that probably will happen. So if you're worried about people that you care about being sick or going to the hospital, that probably will happen in your lifetime. You probably will have someone that you love 
who has cancer. Right? You probably will have someone in your life um, that makes bad decisions. Right? Some of us are parents. Our teenagers are going to make bad decisions. Right? That probably will happen. And we worry about those things. We also worry about things that definitely will happen. There are inevitabilities in this life. You're worried about work being difficult. Your job probably will be difficult at some point. But yet it doesn't matter which of these groups our worry falls under. Whether it's totally ridiculous or totally valid. The scripture says, do not be anxious about anything. I love the way the New American Standard Bible translates it. When it says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. So be anxious for fill in the blank. Whatever you put in that blank will shape your life. Whatever you put in that blank will shape your day, your week, your month, your year, your lifetime. Be anxious for sickness. Sickness is going to have a tremendous amount of influence in your life. Be anxious about work. Work will dominate your life. Be anxious about money. Every time you spend, you'll be thinking about it, worried about it. Be anxious for your kids. Be anxious for getting married. Be anxious for singleness lasting longer than you would have. Like, be anxious for whatever you put in that blank will shape your life, will determine the future of your life. And yet, what does the scripture say? Be anxious for nothing. In God's mind, the only word that should occupy that blank is the word nothing. Be anxious for nothing. So what do we replace worry with? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. You can see the word supply in the word supplication. What are you lacking? What are you missing? What will you use to fill up what is missing? A lot of us use worry to fill that gap. I'm missing this. I'm needing this. I'm lacking this. So I worry about it. But instead we should fill it with prayer. And asking God for our supply. Now notice in verse 5. It says let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This is right before the scripture says do not be anxious about anything. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I think I've read this passage Hundreds, if not thousands of times in my life. And I don't know that I've ever stopped to think about that phrase, the Lord is at hand. It literally means the Lord is soon. Paul is reminding them Jesus is coming back and it could be soon. It could be at any moment. Those early Christians, they lived with the constant awareness that Jesus was returning. So what on earth does Jesus' imminent return and our prayer and not being anxious about anything have to do with one another? Well, first, Jesus' return gives confidence to our prayers. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. This won't be on the screen, so open up your phone. We'd love for everyone to be able to read these words. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' original disciples, is on the prison island of Patmos. He's been sentenced there because he was preaching and proclaiming Jesus as resurrected from the dead. And it says on Sunday, the the Lord's day, he was filled with the spirit. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now flip over to Revelation chapter 19. We see a similar description of Jesus as he's returning to earth. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. These are images of our resurrected Lord Jesus. And when you think of him like that, and you remember that at any moment he could come like that here on earth, bringing his kingdom fully with him. Everything comes underneath his reign and authority. When we think of him like that, and then we think of our need where we need supply, we understand that that supply is not hard for him. When I compare what I am lacking with who he is, it gives me confidence in my prayers. It doesn't mean that he will do those for me, those things for me. It doesn't mean that what I'm asking is in line with his sovereign will. But we can pray with full confidence that he is able, that there is not a request that is hard for him. It gives us confidence in our prayers to remember that Jesus is coming. It also reminds us and gives us clarity in our prayers. Now, in just a second, we're going to see that the scripture says that we should be praying about everything. In everything with prayer and supplication. So we should be praying about big things. We should be praying about small things. We should be praying about important things. We should be praying about unimportant things. In everything with prayer. But there are prayers that are more meaningful than others. I like to pray for good parking spots at crowded places. I like to pray that when I walk into a restaurant with my horde of children... They seed us quickly. When Jesus returns, I want to be praying for more than just those things. I'm happy to pray for those things. Those are good things to pray for. I think God is fine answering those or hearing those or not answering those. But when he returns, I I want most of my prayers to be things that will really matter when he returns. So am I praying about things that will make my life easier or praying more about people coming to believe in Jesus because one of those things will matter more when Jesus returns. Am I praying that I would be able to grow and mature in my faith in Jesus or am I praying that my neighbor stops parking in front of my house? One of those things will matter more when Jesus returns. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is soon. It gives us confidence. It gives us clarity in the kinds of prayers that we should pray as we're replacing worry and anxiety with prayer. And then it adds, with thanksgiving. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Two reasons why we should be thanking God when we pray. Number one, he deserves it. Number two, we forget it. 
never underestimate your ability to forget what God has done for you. And then never underestimate your ability to accuse God of never doing anything for you. First we forget and then we accuse. Exodus chapter 16. God has delivered his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt through signs and wonders. Moses put his staff in the Nile River, turned to blood. Moses raised up his staff. Egypt was victims of plagues of frogs and gnats and locusts. Signs and wonders, he delivers them out of slavery, but they get into the wilderness, the desert, in between slavery and the promised land. They don't have any food. They say to God, this is not a fruitful place. There are no trees here for fruit. There's no place to garden. How are we going to eat? So God's provision, Exodus chapter 16, when they wake up in the morning, there's a bread-like substance called manna waiting for them there. They harvest it. They make breakfast out of it. They make lunch out of it. They complain. We don't want to live on carbs alone, right? Makes us a little bit puffier than we would like to be. We need some meat. God's response to fly flocks of quail into their camp and the quail die right there in front of their tents. Now they have meat to eat every single night. That's Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 17, they get to a place in the desert where there is no water. They say to God, did you bring us out here to kill us? In one chapter, miraculous provision. In the next chapter, they act as if God has never done one thing for them. Never underestimate your ability to forget and then accuse. And when we accuse God of not being good, we become partners with Satan. This is what he wants to do. Always whispering in our ear, God has not treated us fairly. God is not a good father. God is withholding from you. God has a bounty, but it's for other people. It belongs to someone else. So the scripture says that when we make our request to God, we should staple our thanksgiving there. So attached to every request is gratitude. Glued to the back of my needs. God, thank you that you have done this, something big. Thank you that you have done this, something small. But with thanksgiving. And then it says... Verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So instead of worrying, we're praying, we're asking, we're being thankful. And then the peace of God comes to us. Peace is a sense of rest and contentment for your soul. No matter what's happening around you, your soul is at rest, your soul is content. Where does that peace come from? Well, in verse 9, it says, what have you learned, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and listen to this, and the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God comes by interacting with the God of peace, which is great news because what that means is we don't have to conjure up peace. When we're worried and anxious about something, we don't have to look to ourselves to replace that with peace. We don't have to tell ourselves, don't be worried be peaceful. We don't have to try to arrange the circumstances and situation to be more peaceful. Peace comes from interacting with the God of peace. That's why you want to make sure when you're going through a difficult time, when your faith is being tested, make sure that life pries prayer out of your hands last. Because when you lose interaction with the God of peace, you lose your ability to find meaningful rest and contentment for your soul. 
That's what Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 is also saying. That peace is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Again, our interaction with God the Spirit yields peace. We don't have to find it for ourselves. We receive it instead. And when that peace comes, it surpasses all understanding. To surpass understanding means to be superior to understanding. It's a picture of something being held up like this is the winner. So in the battle between the peace of God and facts, the peace of God God surpasses it. It's the winner. Facts cannot overpower your peace. Again, you may be worried about something that could happen. You could be worried about something that probably will happen. You could be worried about something that definitely will happen. And yet the peace of God can outpower those facts. And it comes to guard our heart and our mind. It comes to guard our minds. Because sometimes we worry when we start thinking about something. Then we worry about it, we think about it more. We worry about it more and we think about it more and we worry about it more and we think about it more. An hour later, we've just been thinking about this one thing. The peace of God comes to guard that, but also our hearts. Sometimes we're anxious about something and we don't even know why. Uh, About a month ago, at our Sunday night service, I, I got up to to deliver the message and uh, I could feel my forehead moving a little bit, which is weird. You know, I was like, am I, I going to die right here in front of everybody? And it just kind of just wiggled a little bit, the whole message. And so I was like, you know, that's never happened to me before. And then I'm wondering, like, can other people see this? Because this is like, they're not going to come back to this church. <laughs> so I did what we all do when we're having medical issues. I Googled muscles in foreheads, Bazzing out. <laughs> Turns out that's from stress. When you're stressed, uh, your muscles, you know, dance a little bit in your forehead. They can, not only really intellectual people like me. Uh, <laughs> my brain is bulging out because uh, of my deep intelligence. No. But I didn't want to take Google's word for it, you know, because there's a bunch of crazy people on the internet. And, and so I, I saw my doctor. I just saw her in passing at a restaurant, actually. And I was like, hey, by the way, since you're here... Uh, <laughs> Pulled out my phone, showed her a video of it, just because I wanted to make sure that, that I was seeing clearly. I said, I read this is stress. And, you know, she just kind of nodded her head at me. I took it as a diagnosis from her. She probably was trying to be cool about it, make sure I didn't sue her later on. But I don't know why it does that. I don't, I don't know if I am stressed or worried about I don't really know. Um, and sometimes that happens. Right? Sometimes we're worried and we don't really know why. But the peace of God guards us even in that instance. It guards our heart and our mind. And that that word guard, it's the same word that was used to describe a a Roman military garrison that would guard something. So not just one guard standing outside. A whole garrison. A whole fleet of troops. I have a friend here in Houston who lived in a really nice neighborhood. And you couldn't just drop by his house. Because they had a, a big gate and a guard compound to end all guard compounds. It was not a shack. I mean, uh, and when you went, you, you needed an appointment. He needed to call ahead to let them know that you were coming. Give them your full name, uh, your address. You had to have his address. You gave them your license. It, they probably wanted your social security card, but, but they didn't ask for that. 
And only if you had an appointment and only if you passed by that entrance could you actually get into the neighborhood. That is what the peace of God does for us, for our minds and hearts. It is the gatekeeper. Because worry doesn't make an appointment. Anxiety comes to crash the gates. It just shows up. You don't ask for it. You don't look for it. And it is a thief. I mean, think about how many of our days have been ruined, not because of things that did happen, but because of things we thought might possibly could happen. Worry is a thief and it comes to steal and it just shows up and it doesn't make an appointment. That's why we need a gatekeeper. So when you're stressed, just pray this simple prayer. Remind yourself of this truth, truth that the peace of God is the gatekeeper of my mind and heart. So the next time that you feel anxious about something real, not real, likely, not likely. The peace of God is the gatekeeper to my mind and heart. And if worry and anxiety once in, it's going to have to step through God's peace. And the facts cannot outpower God's peace. And then when you have the peace of God, miraculous things happen. But not in the way that you might be expecting. Acts chapter 16, and this is where we'll finish. I mentioned that the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Philippi. Well, Acts chapter 16 is the history of that church. Paul didn't want to go to Philippi. He actually wanted to go to a different region, but was prevented by the Holy Spirit, has a vision, ends up in Philippi. A woman named Lydia believes in Christ. She had always believed in God, but she believes in Christ after hearing the gospel. Her home becomes the first home base for the very first Christians in Philippi. Long story short, Paul and Silas end up in prison. And some of us already know what happens at the end of of this story. And so we just rush over the fact that they were in prison. But if you were in prison in first century Roman Empire, you didn't know what was going to happen. There was no guarantee that you were going to get a fair trial, if a trial at all. It was really kind of mob mentality. In fact, that's how Paul and Silas ended up in prison because people made a, a stink. And so the authorities just threw him in jail. So as this is happening, Paul and Silas don't know if they're going to make it out of prison. And it says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. The peace of God was at work in that prison cell. Because if Paul and Silas had been filled with worry about what was going to happen to them, are they going to spend years in jail? Are they going to lose their lives because they've been arrested? If they were filled with worry and suddenly their chains fall off and the cell door is opened up, what are they going to do? They're going to do what you and I would do. They're going to get out of there. But they don't. They stay. 
And because they stayed, this Philippian jailer was saved. When you and I get into situations that cause us worry, our human instinct is to get out of that as fast as possible, to fix it as fast as possible. But what if instead God would just give you peace? And because you had peace and because you stayed in your prison cell, someone else would be saved. Your request may be, God, change this thing that I am in. Change this person that I am with. Undo what has been done. And what if God instead is just going to give you his peace? And in this peace, you're going to stay. And someone else is going to come to you and say, what do I have to do to be saved? It could be that our worry is ruining our testimony in this season that we are in. Instead of projecting the peace of God, we're just projecting what everyone else is projecting, which is anxiety and worry and fear of the future. I know there's no one in here that's worried. But hypothetically, if you were, you don't have to live like that. At the intersection of worry and our faith, the peace of God stands guard. Let's pray.